Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. Pastor John asked me to preach today, and I was excited. Of course, I'm always excited when I get a chance to preach. But, but I was excited because, you know, I had read ahead, honestly, I had read ahead in John, 1 John chapter 2. Now, we're going to go back into 1 John chapter 2. In fact, I'm going to be reading verses 18 through 23 today, 1 John chapter 2, if you want to follow along. And, of course, we'll have it up on the screen. But I was excited, of course, to get a chance to preach until I remembered what 1 John... 2, 18 through 23 is about. And if you look ahead, you'll see that it's about Antichrist. Okay, I have no problem preaching about Christian love and loving your neighbor and you know, loving your neighbors yourself and all that. But when you get to Antichrist, that's a little bit different. That stretches me just a little bit. I, I don't know any of you that have been in my small group and we've talked about eschatology, which is the study of last things. I don't take a real strong stand on eschatology. Um, because there's, and then there's your all-millennials and your post-millennials and your pre-trib and your post-trib and all of these different schools of thought about how everything is going to happen, how this is all going to come down in the end, and how, how we as Christians, whether the church will still be here or not, or whether we're going to be raptured out um, before the tribulation or during the tribulation or after the tribulation or not at all, or right? So and I've got an idea. Through my own study of the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, Thessalonians, I, I've got an idea of how this is going to go down, but I will tell you one thing. I am absolutely positive that I don't know the answer. And so I have a hard time standing in front of you and, and, and preaching from the pulpit what the right answer is to this stuff because I am not in my own heart convinced that I have it all scoped out. What I am convinced in my own heart is that nobody's got it all scoped out. I have a feeling that on the last day, we're all going to go... Oh, didn't see that coming, right? It'll be good, though, right? It'll be like getting that, that puppy that you didn't ask for for Christmas, right? Because God's going to do great and wonderful things for us as church. So we don't have to worry about the end times. We may go through tribulation. I'm not sure. We might be raptured out before the tribulation, or maybe we maybe not. But God has a plan for us. So you know what? I figured that I'll leave it to him. He's already got it figured out. All I have to do is be ready. So that preface to what I'm about to tell you, keep that in mind, that what I'm about to tell you comes right from the Word of God with no interpretation of my own. I'm not going to put any spin on this. I'm going to read you what the Word says. And then we're going to discuss it just a little bit. And then you, in your own mind, in your own heart, have to make a determination about what you believe about end-time prophecy. But what I will say, that prophecy is not static. Prophecy is, you know, we tend to think that there, there's a prophecy of, of, uh, of an event that's, that's going to happen. And, and by definition, it's a future event to be called a prophecy. It's a foretelling. Um, there are two different types of prophecy. There's foretelling and, anyway, that's a whole other sermon. But 
we know that the, we can see that things are going to happen, but that doesn't mean they're only going to happen once. Prophecy can be repeated. So there's, there are many examples in the, in the Old Testament of prophecy that was yet to come that has come to fruition, but is, that doesn't mean that that prophecy is done and put to bed. That means that that prophecy can be fulfilled yet again. That doesn't mean because Isaiah said that, that this would happen and it happened in Jesus' time, that it won't happen again at the end time. Does that make sense? So when you're reading prophecy, keep in mind, it's not, it's not always fulfilled in one instant. Sometimes you, the prophecy is repeated. Okay, so anyway, that, all that, and, and that is my, is my preface. That is my lead-in. So that's much shorter than Pastor John's, so we can move on now. Okay, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the day that you've given us. We thank you for these people. We thank you for the heart and the spirit that you instill in us that brings us together to share and worship and fellowship, to share this time amongst people that we love and have grown to love and that are our family in you. We thank you for the singing. We thank you for the worship. We thank you for the giving of tithes. We thank you for all the many things you've done for us. We come this morning with a spirit of joy in our hearts, even though we're talking about things today that may not be joyful. I ask, Lord, that you give me special wisdom, that you illuminate the words that I'm about to say, that you fill the hearts and the minds of all that hear it with the truth of your word, and you convince us of the rightness of it. Lord, I ask you to give me the words to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. As always, I like to read the scripture that I'll be be talking through. I like to read it out once, just to go ahead and get it out there so it's in your heart and and you're in your mind and you've heard it. And then we'll start taking it apart. So here we go. I'm in verse 18, 1 John 2, verse 18. It says, Children, it is the last hour. As you have heard, Antichrist is coming. Even though many Antichrists have come, we know that this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them Belonged to, belongs to us. But you, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you have knowledge. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth, who is the liar? It is not the one who denies, who is the liar is, if not the one who denies that Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah. This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son can have the Father. And he who confesses the Son has the Father as well. Amen. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to start with this. Repent, ye sinners. The end draweth nigh. Right? Stand on the street corner with a sign. Repent. That's our job. That's our duty. When I was talking about I don't know how the end's going to happen, I don't, I don't know exactly how the, this will all play out. If it's going to be exactly seven years, and there'll be three and a half years of peace, and then three and a half years of war, and there'll be a new temple in Jerusalem, and all of that. But I do know it's going to happen. And I do know that you and I have a responsibility. And our responsibility is to be prepared on that day. We have to be prepared on that day. Now your question might be, okay, then when is that day? I don't know. And guess what? Nobody else knows either. So when someone starts 
telling you that they've figured out that they, they've looked, they've studied scripture and they've made a, made a chart and they figured out when the world is going to end, when this is all going to happen, they start naming dates, it's time to back up. Because scriptures themselves tell us that no man shall know. The Son of Man himself did not know. So how is it that I can know? So what's my responsibility then? If I knew when the end, end was coming, that would give me license to party right up to the last day and find God on the, on the 11th hour and then be saved for eternity. But since we don't know, what is our responsibility? Our responsibility is to be ready today because it may be today. It may be tomorrow. We're not guaranteed anything. Our end, end time might come on the way home. We don't know that. So we are to be prepared as if it's happening today, if it's happening tomorrow. That's our responsibility. So are we in the end times right now? Yes, we are. When did the end times start? At the ascension of Jesus Christ. We're in what's now called the church age. And the church age is the last days. We are in the last days. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. Now, we might ask, well, then why is God tearing? Why is, he, why is it taking him so long? Everything has been as it was with our fathers. First, Second Peter chapter 3. So why should I believe that the end is coming? Nothing's changed. It's been 2,000 years. Surely if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. Well, that's man's way of thinking, not God's. God's way of thinking is on his own schedule. God is outside of time, so 2,000 years is a blink of an eye to God. All I know is, and as Pastor John has said, he made, he, he's never early and he's never late. He sets the time and the place. It's up for us to be prepared. So yeah, we are in the last, last days. The last days are right now. We're living in them. God called up his church to be his witness in the last days. That's what we're, our mission is. We're to take this gospel that we've heard and that that we've been told and we're to take it throughout the entire world because the last days are here. Time is short. We can't tarry. We don't know when, God, when Christ will be coming again. And we have it's our responsibility to prepare as many people for his coming as we possibly can. Now, it's not our responsibility to save people. That's not our job. But it's our responsibility to tell people about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Because we are in the last age. John said it. The Antichrist is coming. So let's talk about Antichrist for a minute. When he says, children, it's the last hour, and as you have heard, Antichrist is coming. Now, what comes in your mind when you hear Antichrist? Left behind, right? Okay. The Antichrist. I think Scripture is pretty clear that there will be a Antichrist. Now, have you thought about what Antichrist is? Have you, have you ever noticed that, that the devil is not very creative? He's, he's a real good imitator. If you look at, at the miracles that, that have been worked by Satan, and, and Satan can work miracles. He can, he can do signs and wonders, and he can deceive many. They're all very much the miracles that God has worked. But they're, they're, they're shabby. They're not quite complete. They're copies. They're bad photocopies of what God has done. 
There's, there's just missing elements to it. Satan can't come up with these things on his own, so he creates a, a mimicry or a mockery, if you will, of what God has already done. So when you think about who the Antichrist is, what does Scripture say about the Antichrist? Now, I'll, I'll read a little bit more about it. But the Antichrist will come, and it will be like a man. And he'll be killed, apparently. But then he'll be resurrected and live. And he'll deceive many. And many will follow him. And he'll lead many to destruction. What does that sound like to you? To me, that sounds like a bad imitation of Christ. That Satan's going to rise up his own Christ-like figure. And people are going to believe that the Antichrist is the Messiah, not Christ. So there is an Antichrist coming. That's the ultimate personification of evil. And in fact, it's, it's interesting that the word Antichrist is, is only used in, in John's epistles. This is the first time it's mentioned anywhere in Scripture. And John is the only one that mentions uses the, that word for Antichrist. So to be all, uh, to be all uh, uh, you know, preachery and stuff, I went and looked that up in the Greek. Okay, You know what the Greek word for Antichrist is? Antichristo. Okay, so I can't impress anybody with that. You could have all figured that out. And it just means someone who is, in, who is contending against God, someone who disagrees or hates God, someone who denies the Christ. So let's think about it a minute. Who is this Antichrist? And how do we know that there will be one? Well, I'll, you don't have to go there, but Revelation 13, 1 through 10, I'll read it to you, and we'll talk about it just a bit. Revelation 13, verse 1 says, And I saw the beast coming, a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems, and on his head were blasphemous names. The beast I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like a bear's, and his mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon, Satan, gave him power, his throne, and great authority. One of the heads appeared to be fatally wounded, but this fatal wound healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. And and they worshipped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against him? That's the Antichrist. In the end times, someone will arise that captivates the imagination of the whole world. Now, what's different about Christ and Antichrist, other than their motivation, is Christ speaks to the things of God. He says, what you, what I, I only say what my Father gives me. I only, I only do what my Father asks me to do. He speaks to the thing of God. He takes, he takes man and he elevates them and points them toward heaven and godly things. The Antichrist takes man and, appoint, and, and brings them to themselves. You know why the Antichrist will deceive many? It's because he's telling them exactly what they want to hear. Right? He's telling them that you're okay, just the way you are. God loves you just like you are. That sin in your life, don't worry about it. You can't do anything wrong because God created you. Therefore, you're a perfect creation. Therefore, whatever you do is fine. And I promise you, yeah, health, wealth, prosperity, isn't that the kind of things you want to hear? If you don't know God and, and you're, if you're unsaved, what is it that you want from life? You want health? You want wealth? You want prosperity? You want to be okay? You want to be accepted? 
And that's what the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to say, look, you are perfect. Don't change a thing. Where Christ came and said, what you're doing is wrong. There's better that I want better for you. I, want, I love you so much I want more than what you're living in now. I want better than your sin. I want better than... You know there are more important things than money? I know you didn't realize that. This is what Christ is saying. You see the difference? So why do you think many will be, well, many will be deceived? Because they're hearing exactly what they want to hear. But John was referring to the Antichrist. Okay, and then he goes on. Now, this is a little bit confusing at first, when you hear this verse. Verse 18, it says, As you have heard, Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. And I'm thinking, okay, how can there be many Antichrists? Well, in his first instance, he's talking about the Antichrist, the, 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 the counterpart, the, the, the dark Christ, the, the Messiah figure that the devil will raise up. He's talking about that Antichrist. But that's not quite what he's talking about in the rest of that sentence, where he's talking about many Antichrists have come. What he's really talking about are the teachers, the false teachers, the betrayers, those people that are, are spreading a false gospel. What the rest of this, this uh, piece of scripture is talking about is a test of the church doctrine. It's a test that helps us as Christians identify the false teachers and the erroneous theology. Because when John wrote this, the church had a problem. There were, false, there were already heresies arising in the church. There were already, within a, within a century of the founding of the church, already false doctrines have crept in. And John is speaking against those false doctrines. So he says, yeah, the Antichrist is coming, but, don't, but don't, don't worry about that right now. You've got a bigger problem at the moment. Your problem right now is the heresy that's creeping into the church. And the Antichrists, small Antichrists, but those that are warring against God and denying the Messiah of Jesus Christ, denying the deity of Jesus Christ, those are the things that, that, are, that you need to worry about. So what he's talking about are these false teachers. They had a problem then. They had a, a, a philosophy that was going around that many Christians were adopting. And I've talked about this before. It's called Gnosticism. But it wasn't called Gnosticism then. That didn't come till the third century that, that they actually, actually took that title upon themselves, that they became Gnostics. But it was the, the teaching of Gnosticism. Well, yes, what is Gnosticism? Gnosticism was a cult wherein that, that believed that they had some kind of special knowledge. That's what Gnosticism means. Gnostic means knowledge or special revelation. That this group of people had some kind of special revelation. They had some kind of special knowledge that the rest of us didn't have. And this special knowledge set them apart and made them more holy than everyone else. So they had this secret that, they, of course, they weren't willing to share. But they had this secret. And this secret gave them power. And they were more in tune with what God really wanted 
than the rest of the church because they had the, the clue. They had the secret. They could see into God's mind where no one else could. So they had a special knowledge that the rest of the church didn't have. The problem with their special knowledge, it was based on an erroneous theology. It, and, and they felt that their special knowledge supplants Scripture. That they knew better than what the Word of God says. Right? Does that sound familiar to you at all? Do we know of any modern-day Gnostics, even though they won't call themselves that? That the Word of God, this, contains the truth. Right? It contains the, the truth of God is in here. Is that, is that what we believe? Is that right? Is that, is that good theology? That the Word of God contains truth? No. That's horrible theology. The Word of God does not contain truth. The Word of God is truth. You see the difference? Because if I say the word, there's truth in here, if I don't agree with Romans chapter 1, I'll just say that part's not true. I get to pick and choose what's true and what's not. Right? So, so I believe that this is the truth. I don't get to choose what's right and what's wrong in here. I don't get to, you know. Now, even this does not contain the whole truth. You don't know why? Because it's not in the right order. There's an index in the front and there's maps in the back. I can't speak about the maps. But other than that, it's 100% true. Because the maps weren't inspired. Okay. So there's a difference. But what the Gnostics said is our knowledge surplants the church's doctrine and teaching and the word of God. We can completely disregard, of course, they didn't have the entire canon of Scripture back then, but they did have the Old Testament, which supported everything that Christ said and was the, re- the revelation to the, peop- to the first century church. They said, well, I don't care what Isaiah said. I don't care what, you know, because we've got this new knowledge. And it trumps that. But where did that new knowledge come from? Did it come from God? Actually, it came from paganism. And, and it was a it was a it was a, a distorted Platoism. Now Plato was a Greek philosopher, right? So it's based on some really distorted philosophy. And what is philosophy? Philosophy is man's attempt to, to see the mind of God and to figure out the mind of God. That's all philosophy is. Why is the universe the way it is? Immanuel Kant says, "I think, therefore I am." Okay. Why is the universe the way it is? And they're trying to figure out why God made the universe the way it is. So, but they're applying human terms to it. They're applying human understanding to it. They're not allowing the spiritual. They're not allowing God to speak into this. So this Gnosticism de- depended on these philosophical ideas. And the whole idea of, of Gnosticism was an attempt to judge the revelation by human ideas. Human beings can explain the universe and the revelation of God by human ideas rather than judging human ideas by divine revelation. See the difference? Gnostics were saying man is right and God has to answer to men. Christianity says that God is right and men have to answer to God. It's exactly the opposite. The Gnostics believe that matter, matter meaning 
physical things. We're inherently evil, but people were inherently good. But because they're made up of matter, that's what made them evil. So matter was inherently evil, but the spirit was good. So with that reasoning, they taught that that Christ was God. Okay, we're good. That Christ was, was God. He was deity. Because the spirit is good. But the body is evil. So they denied that Jesus ever was a man. That he ever could have assumed humanity. Because how can God live in an evil body? It would have corrupted him. So they denied the humanity of Christ. That he was never really a man. They believed that, that he was just an, an apparition. That that that, that, the, that the disciples saw and all of the thousands on the you know the mountainside saw and you know all the thousands and thousands of people that actually witnessed Jesus teaching he was a ghost he wasn't really human he just appeared to be human because it's impossible for a holy spirit to inhabit a corrupt body right so Jesus Christ was never a man he was a ghost you see the problem with that? Well, we've got a few problems with that, and they're huge. Because if Christ was not a man, then how could he have been tempted like a man? Then how could he be our intercessor to God? If Christ was not a man, he could not have died. And he could not have been the ultimate substitutional sacrifice that God's justice required. Because if he wasn't alive, how could he die? If Jesus was not a man, he couldn't have died on the cross to provide the atonement for sin we so desperately need. If Christ had not died, there would be no redemption, no sanctification, no salvation for believers, no resurrection, no victory over Satan and the grave, and the whole thing is pointless. What's Christianity equal then? Nothing. It's a corrupted corrupted philosophy. That was the teaching that John is trying to refute in, in this letter. Because... Loved ones, everything depends on the humanity of Christ. Everything we teach, everything we hold, every Christian doctrine demands that Christ was a real man and died a real death and shed real blood. Without that, we've got nothing. Nothing. We're wasting our time here. There's no salvation in that. There's no redemption in that. Do you hear that preached today? Yes, you do. That Jesus wasn't really a man. We, there are some, hold, some that hold that Jesus was the spirit brother of Lucifer. Instead of the creator of all things. He was a created thing. Some that hold that Jesus was a good teacher, a good philosopher, a great moral man, a good Bible, you know, a very good Jew. Probably the best Jew there ever was. But he was not God. That's equally as wrong. Because Christ was both. 100%, and this is, this is where the miracle comes in, he was 100% God and 100% human at the same time. That's only possible through God. John made it very clear, and he addressed this in, in several places. We're going to look at one. John made it very clear that Jesus Christ was a real human being. If you look with me at 1 John 1, and we, we've talked about this, 
1 John chapter 1, just back a little bit, page or so, verses 1 and 2. It says, what from the beginning, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed, what we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed and has been, and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father was revealed to us. John said, you can't tell me that Jesus Christ was not a man. You can't tell me that he was a ghost or an apparition because I've heard him, I saw him, I touched him. The Gospels tell us about at the Last Supper, John was leaning against Christ's breast as they reclined at the table. John smelled him. They probably didn't smell very good back then. And a little as you want to think about this, he being human, he had to go to the bathroom, right? Okay, John would have been aware of that. Ghosts don't do those kind of things. Apparitions don't do those kind of things. Jesus Christ was a real human being. He shed real tears and sweat, real sweat, and didn't have deodorant. Okay? Jesus Christ was as real and as human as you and I. Because if not, we're doomed. And that was just one. This Gnosticism was just one of the false teachings that were being heard in John's time. It was heresy. Heresy was spreading throughout the church. Heresy is, but heresy is not an ancient concept that only occurred in the first century. Because false teaching is as real today as it was then. The Antichrist are still with us. The ones that are going out and spreading false doctrine are still with us today. All you have to do is turn on the TV on Sunday morning and you can find some. All you have to do is turn on Bot Radio Network and you can find some. Now, Bot's usually pretty good. They've got some pretty conservative, orthodox teaching in there. But their false teachers are still out there. They're still spreading these false doctrines. They're still saying, denying the, the humanity of Christ or denying the divinity of Christ or denying that there was ever a, really a death and a resurrection. That Jesus Christ, when he, when he was on the cross, he just swooned. He just passed out for a bit. He wasn't really dead. And they put him in the grave. He revived himself. And that was the resurrection. They deny that he was actually dead. It's a heresy. It's a false doctrine. But it's being taught. The scripture contains the word of God, not is the word of God. That I can figure this out by myself. I don't need the Holy Spirit to illuminate scripture for me. False doctrine. There is a particular denominate or a particular group of people, I'll call them a denomination, that thinks if you live a good enough life on this world, on this earth, you get to become the God of your own planet. It's heresy. It's false doctrine. They use the name of Jesus Christ, but they distort it to the point it's not recognizable. It's false teaching. The Antichrist are still here, and they're still with us. The problem is false doctrine that is, distracts so many and leads so many astray. You know, this is where cults come from. And you know who the most vulnerable people in the world are to cults? Especially the pseudo-Christian cults? They're us. They're Christians. They're young Christians who have heard the truth, but it hasn't been fully planted in their heart. 
And, and it only takes one disappointment. It only takes one Christian to, to, to say the wrong thing. It only takes one church to, to stand up and preach against something that they disagree with. And here's this cult, arms wide open, ready to accept them as they are and tell them that everything is okay and God loves you just like you are. There's a danger here. And this is what was happening in the first century. By definition, the first century church was a young church. They hadn't grown in, this, in the Word. They haven't developed their spirituality. To, and, they haven't, you know, and it takes time to do that. You go through the same stages in Christian growth as you do in physical growth. You're born a baby in Christ. And then you get to, you get to be a child in Christ. And then you get to be a rebellious teenager in Christ. And we all go through that. And then you get to be fully mature. And it takes about the same amount of time. You can't go from accepting Christ one day to being a fully mature Christian the next day. And I would willing to say that the rebellious teenager stage is where most of the cults start. Because we know better. You're obviously stupid. You've been doing this wrong for 2,000 years, and I know a better way. Me and my friends over here, Slash and Spike, we have a better way of doing this. They're talking about me. No. Um, talking about teenagers. Sorry, not nothing personal. Okay. So here are all, it is our responsibility as Christians, as, as believers, to be watching out for these things because our, our people are vulnerable to this. They'll fall into these cults and are easily led astray. There are still, though, let's look at verse 18. Again, where it says, even now many antichrists have come. He's referring to those false teachers. There are even now men and women who are distorting the truth and making it a lie. In verse 19, John tells us of the falling away of supposed believers. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would remain with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. So what's he saying? He's saying that there were a group of people that were supposedly in the church that were in the fellowship of believers. They were saying all the right things. They were, they were there every Sunday morning. They were tithing. But they were, they were practical atheists. What they were living on the outside didn't match what they, what they were on the inside. And they came to this conclusion that maybe there's a better way to do this. Maybe there's a, a, a better doctrine. Maybe that, that, and they go out and they start spreading their lies. They start spreading the, these, these untruths. What John is saying is that if someone can leave a body of believers and go out and start spreading heresy, they could never have really been believers in the first place. They were never really of us. They were with us. But they weren't of us. And we see that every day in the Christian church. People that get disgruntled. People that don't like the way the church is running. Don't like the way the chairs are set up. And they leave. And they spread a heresy. And before you know it, many have been led astray. They never belonged to us because how could they have? These are the people that we trusted these are the people that we, we shared our lives with. And they're taking that 
and they're spreading lies and spreading dissent. They lack discernment, these people. They can't see the truth. They lack the illumination of the Holy Spirit because if you are not saved, if you are not truly in the Word of God, if you're not truly in the will of God, if you're not truly one of His and being indwelled with the Holy Spirit, this is foolishness. Right? What does the world think this is? They don't have a clue what this is. They have no idea what this is. To them, it's a book of rules. It's an, old, it's an ancient book written by a whole bunch of people, not by God. And, and it's just telling me that I can't have fun. It's all the do's and don'ts. They don't understand what God's revelation really is because they can't see it. They're looking at this with, with blinders on because it hasn't been illuminated for them. We have something special that they don't. We have the illumination of the Holy Spirit that explains to us what this book is saying. Now, in my own Christian walk, I can tell you that I have seen, I can literally testify to the illumination of the Holy Spirit on Scripture. Because you can read Scripture as a baby Christian, and you can read the Gospel of John, and you can get something from it. And you can say, wow, there's some, real, there's some truth in here. I can live by this. And you take it into your heart, and it takes root in there. You come back then a year later and you read the Gospel of John again. Same words. They haven't changed unless you get a different version. Same words. There's more truth. I didn't see that last time. Why is it that now I understand better what John is trying to say in this particular Scripture? Because the Holy Spirit is illuminating it for you. And guess what? You come back five years later and you open up the book of John and you read that same Scripture again and there's more. And you read it again, and there's more and more and more. And you can, be the, the, you can be the president of the seminary and have three doctorates in theology and religion and comparative studies, and you'll open up the Word of God, and there's more. There's no bottom to it. That's the illumination of the Holy Spirit. You can see what the Holy Spirit has prepared you to see. But if you're not in God, it's a bunch of foolishness. They didn't have the Holy Spirit illuminating the Scripture for them, so therefore they're spreading these dissent, they're spreading these lies, they're, they're telling their own story, they're making it up as they go. They're discerning it as best they can from the human standpoint without the spiritual revelation of the Scripture. Now, there are some Orthodox Christians, I believe that the Holy Spirit illuminates this for us and, and helps me read this and understand it. There are some denominations that will tell you that, no, it becomes the Holy Spirit when you read it. I don't know if we'll go quite that far. But the Holy Spirit is involved in understanding Scripture, and without that, you'll be led astray. And you'll fall into false doctrine. But you know what's funny? Or not funny, it's tragic. Have you ever noticed the professors, those that, that claim a false doctrine, are the most zealous evangelists of anybody? Why is it that the cults evangelize so well and we evangelize so poorly? Why is it that you can find the cults standing at the train station handing out? I very seldom see evangelical Christians doing that. You, the, 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 cult, the, the cults, the people in, the, in these false doctrines, they're more than willing to spread their word. They're more than willing to, to disseminate their lie. They're more than willing to tell everybody they know. They're evangelists for what they believe. But what is the motivation for that? 
Why are they so motivated to spread this heresy? Because the power of the truth itself is offensive. There's an offense that the truth brings with it. There's a whole lot more. We've been talking about these people that go out from us that weren't of us. These people that are spreading the lies, spreading the heresy. We're thinking, well, there's fallen, fallen men, fallen women. They're sinners. How could they expect to do any better? They don't understand. They don't have discernment. That's all true. But there's more than that going on here. There's more than just human fallibility that we're dealing with. What does Ephesians 6 tell us? Ephesians 6 says, For our battles are not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. The spirit of Antichrist is at work here. They're using the truth to spread a lie. They're corrupting what is good and making it nearly good and nearly true so that many will fall for the lie. And be lost. Remember when Jesus was in the was in the desert and being tempted by by Satan. Satan used scripture. He said, "You know, but it's written that if you jump off the top of the if we throw you off the top of the temple, then angels will will, will keep you from from even striking us your foot on a stone." He was using scripture. The devil's favorite ploy is to take. And this, I'm borrowing this from Hank Hanegraaff. He takes the truth and he distorts it. And so you've got, the, you've got the skin of the truth stuffed with a big lie. It looks good from the outside. It looks orthodox. It even looks Christian. But underneath it, it's all lies and deceit. That's Satan's favorite tactic because he can lead so many people astray with that. Now, you and I would not be led astray by somebody that came in and said, we're going to draw a pentagram in the parking lot, we're going to sacrifice babies, and we're going to, we're going to clash silver swords together and call up the devil. Now, most of us would say, uh, no, excuse me, I think I'll bow out of that. But if they come and say, oh, we're going to worship God, in its truest sense, we're going to all get together, we're going to sing Kumbaya around the campfire, we're going to have acoustic guitars, because, and we're going to love each other, and everything's going to be great. Oh, by the way, Jesus was never really real. All right? There's a, there's a lot of truth in there, but there's just enough lie to make it fatal. pretty dire. Kind of scares me a little bit. Kind of scared John a little bit. He wrote some letters about it. He said, you've got to beware of this. You've got to watch out for these false teachers, these antichrists that are spreading their, their poison throughout the church. You've got to be on guard for them. But he gave us something else. He gave us hope. Does it sound hopeless? It kind of does. But he goes on to say that there are keepers of the truth. Let's look at verse 20. He, said, he tells us that, that, that you and I are not like that, that we're keepers of the truth. He says, but we have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you have knowledge. Okay? We have an anointing from the Holy One. What does that mean? We have an anointing from the Holy One. We have what? We have the Holy Spirit. We have something that, the, that they don't. We have the Holy Spirit living in our lives. We've got God with us to help us make these decisions and to help us think through what, what we've heard and to test what we've heard and give us the illumination of the Scripture. We've got knowledge that they don't. There is a special knowledge, but it's not the Gnostics that have it. Who has it? We do. And he goes on to say, 
you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you have knowledge. He's directly refuting Gnosticism by saying they don't have the special knowledge. But you do. You have it. In verse 21, it says, I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. The difference is that we know the truth. How is it that we do that? Because of the anointing of the Holy One, because of the working of the Holy Spirit, because of the revelation of Scripture. We know the truth. There is a special knowledge. I won't deny it. There is special knowledge that gives you an advantage. You can see the mind of God. You know where you find it? In the Word of God. Illuminated for you by the Holy Spirit and the working of the Holy Spirit in your, in your heart. That's how you find this special knowledge. It comes from the anointing. We can't do it ourselves. God has to give us the capability to do it. To gain this special knowledge. It's through the real and very present Holy Spirit of God that lives in the hearts of each and every one of us. Because without the Holy Spirit, this is nonsense. One philosophy is just as good as any other without the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth to us. If we're left to figure this out on our own, what will happen to us? We'll be blown hither and thither by every wind of doctrine. We'll fall for something. Where there's no discernment, it's all about how I feel about it. It's not about what's true. It's about how I feel. It's about what I think is true. And we'll fall for anything. Have you seen the coexist bumper stickers? That's what it's saying. It's saying all of these things are equally valid. You've got the you know, Tsar of David, and you've got the crescent of Islam, and you've got the cross of the Christianity, and you've got the yin and the yang of the Buddhists, and you've got all the doctrines are good. They're all equally valid as long as you're sincere about it and you sincerely hold that belief and you really feel strongly, then it must be true. Because what's true for you is not true for me. Relativism. But we have no excuse to act like that, do we? Because we know the truth, the real truth, because it has been revealed to us. We have the infallible word of God. And the Holy Spirit to illuminate it for us, to help us understand it. That's the truth. And how can a lie come from the truth? It can't. In verse 22, he says, Who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies Father and the Son. If, who is the liar? The one who denies that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That seems pretty clear to me. I don't think John is saying, well, everybody else has a right to their opinion, and it might be true for them. But for us, Jesus, no, that's not what he said. He said, if you do not proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, you're living a lie. You're the liar. You're the Antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. Verse 23 says, No one who denies the Son can have the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. No one who denies the Son can have the Father. 
You can't have it both ways. You can't claim God but deny Jesus. You can't say, I worship Jehovah, but I don't worship Jesus. I worship God, but Jesus is just a good prophet. It's a lie. They're inseparable. God and Jesus are two-thirds of the Godhead, of the Trinity, and you can't, they can't cut them apart. You can't pull them away from each other. You can't set one aside and worship the other. You've got to accept both, or you have neither. If you don't believe that, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is deity, you can't have God. On the other hand, if you don't believe that, you just can't, you can't separate the two. You can't worship one and ignore the other. So those that claim God are Allah or Jehovah or whatever you want to call him, but deny Jesus are as lost in the lie as they were in the first century. They too are the Antichrist, led astray by the father of lies. But we're not like that. We're not following the Antichrist. So what does all this mean to us? What are we to take away from this this morning? The band can go ahead and get come on up if they would. What are we to take away from this this morning? What is the application? Every good, every good. I'm not not claiming this is a good sermon, but every sermon, every good sermon has to have an application. It has to have a so what. It has to have in there something that you can take away and say that's something I need to think about. So what's the application? Well, the first ap- question I have for you, and the first application is, where are you? Are you sure of your place in Christ? Are you sure that the Holy Spirit is in your heart and is illuminating the truth for you? Because without it, you'll fall for anything. Without that, without true salvation, without the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you'll fall for any doctrine that sounds good. You'll fall for anything that tickles your ears. So where are you with Christ today? Is he real to you? Is he really God? Was he really man? Did he really die on the cross? Do you believe that? Do you think he really died to save you personally? Do you really believe that Christ would have come from heaven, set aside some of the attributes of divinity, but not divinity, became a man to walk the earth and suffer and die for you? Do you believe that? Because if you don't, you'll fall for the lie. Someone will come along with just the right words to say and your soul will be captured and thrown into hell forever. That's the truth. And if you don't believe that, verse 22 says you're the Antichrist. You're the liar. So that if you, if you agree with that, if you agree that Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, He came down from heaven, became a man to die as a substitute for your sin so that you do not have to pay your sin debt, He went into, he went into the grave, He was resurrected, He overcame death and sin. If you believe that, then what's your next step? Well, next you need to educate yourself. You need to grow yourself up. You need to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You need to learn the truth. You need to get a firm foundation in your heart so that these lies will not settle there. If you fill yourself with the things of God, there's no room for the things of the devil. So you have to grow. You have to educate yourself. You have to study God's Word. You have to understand the illuminated truth of Scripture. You have to listen to trusted teachers. 
You've got to grow. You can't get stagnant because when you do, that opens the door for the lie. You need to test all things and hold on to only that that is good. The most respected Bible teacher in the world can get it wrong. You need to listen to what they say and go to Scripture and go to prayer and ask for discernment. This is really the truth. Test all things. You need to pray and examine your life. Make sure that you're hearing what you're hearing is not, if it's not in alignment with Orthodox Christian doctrine, you need to question what you're hearing. And above all things, you must listen to that still, small voice of God in your heart that will tell you the truth, will tell you the lie, and will lead you into the will of God. Those are the things that you must do. Or the lie will come upon you and you won't be able to resist it. So as every eye is closed, every head is bowed, I ask you to take a moment while the music plays softly just to ask yourself these questions. Where am I with Christ? Is He really the Son of God in my life? Is He really the Lord of Lords in my life? Do I believe that He came and died a substitutional death for me? Do I believe that if I was the only person on earth, Christ still would have come and died on that cross? Because He loves me that much. He was a real man who walked the earth for 33 years and died a horrible death. But He was fully God. Ask yourself these questions. Then ask yourself, have I been listening to the lie? Have I been listening to the world? haven't been listening to the truth revealed in Scripture. Where am I getting my doctrine from? Where am I getting the things that I believe and hold dear from? Now, when I'm talking about doctrine, I don't mean that we some we can disagree on how to baptize or not, or whether you have to be baptized to be saved, or whether you can wear women can wear pants to church. I'm not talking. I'm talking about the fundamentals of the faith, the deity of Christ, the the universal atonement for sin, the death and burial and the resurrection. How do I feel about those things? Do I accept those as true, or am I listening to the lie? Where am I in my Bible study and my discipleship? Am I growing? Am I listening to that still, small voice? Lord, we take these few moments to open our hearts in examination to you. We ask, Lord, that you send the Holy Spirit that's already amongst us to convict our hearts where we're wrong, to prick us where we're, we're following the lie of the world, following in the path of Satan, so that we see the truth, capture that truth for what it is. Lord, we, we ask you to move amongst, move amongst us and open our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word and the truth of of your teaching. Lord, if there's anyone here who has not done that, who has not accepted you, we ask that you give them that that gift, the gift of grace that's so freely offered, that they understand that 
they're sinners in need of a Savior. Without that Savior, they're, they're open to being led astray. So Lord, if there's anyone here that has not accepted you, I pray that you would move their hearts to do that today. That you would move in their lives and bring them to an understanding of who you are and who they are. Lord, be with the rest of us. Many of us have done that many years ago. Some of us have fallen away, gotten cold, have listened to the lie. Lord, bring us back. Convict us again of who you are. Restore that feeling of love and awe and respect that we had at first. Lord, we, we open our hearts. That's all we can do is allow you to speak. On our own, we have nothing, nothing to give. But through you, we have everything. Lord, I ask that you be with these people, these people that love you and are calling out on your name. That you shelter them. That you, you close their ears to the lie and fill their hearts with the truth so they may not stumble. And if they do stumble, that you graciously and lovingly bring them back into the fold and restore them to their original Lord, ask you be with this church, this body that meets and worships and shares all this in your name. Lord, I ask for all your many blessings. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, at Fallon, Illinois, 62269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.